Sometimes the greatest gifts are hiding in plain sight. Uh, When I was a kid and it came to Christmas Day, I had a very particular order in which I wanted to open my Christmas presents. I wonder whether you have something similar. It always began with mum and dad's present. They tended to spend the most money on my presents, so it was a good bet that that would be the best present. Uh, After that, it was grand's for similar reasons. But beyond that, uh, it was always the biggest present down to the smallest. Uh, But without a doubt, the things that were left under the tree until last, and this continues to be the case today, were the envelopes. They just look so boring compared to everything else. Someone else is the same as me. Then one year, um, when I did get round to eventually opening one of these uh, envelopes, probably late in the evening after I had finished playing with everything else that was far more interesting from earlier on in the day, I opened it and discovered high street shopping vouchers for a value that to a young kid was huge. And I was over the moon as I began to think about all the different things that I might spend these vouchers on. But in the build-up to Christmas Day and on the day itself, all of my attention was held by the glitzy, big, attention-grabbing kind of things, whilst the greatest gift was hiding in plain sight. I don't know what you are most looking forward to this Christmas or what you would most like to have this Christmas. I expect for many of us, it's not the stuff at all. It's probably more likely that most of us want to just go back to normal, right? It's funny, a year ago, if we talked about normal, we would probably have been thinking words like boring and ordinary. But now, wow, normal, that's all that any of us really wants. Perhaps you'd like a golden ticket that gets you to the front of the queue for a vaccine. Perhaps you'd just like to see someone or hug someone that you haven't since March. I know that I'm longing for all of those things. But I'd like to suggest that maybe the greatest gift that any of us could receive this Christmas is hiding in plain sight. That it might look plain or ordinary, but that if we knew what was inside, it would be the thing that we'd all want most. I want to share with you in just 10 minutes, using 10 words from our first reading this evening, what I sincerely believe is the best news and the greatest gift that any of us could receive. And here are those words on the screen. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The verse begins with the Word. Someone's word is the most accurate way to know them. Imagine you're on the bus just after Christmas and you see someone reading a novel. You might reasonably conclude that person likes reading novels. But if you were to ask them, are you enjoying that book? They might say to you, well, actually, no, not at all. I don't like reading books, but I was given this by my gran or some other relative for Christmas, and I know she's going to ask me whether I enjoyed it, so I kind of feel like I have to read it. Uh, Maybe you've been in that situation after Christmas uh, before. Um, Or imagine you're walking around the park, and you see someone holding a takeaway coffee cup. You might conclude, quite reasonably, that they like coffee, but it may be they don't at all, but that actually they have poor circulation in their hands. And so occasionally they buy a hot takeaway drink just to warm up their fingers. Now, you wouldn't know that unless they explained it to you with words. 
In fact, you can come to all sorts of wrong conclusions without a definitive word. We need people's words. They are the most accurate way to know someone. If God exists, how would we know anything about him? Have you ever considered that? We might look at the world around us and draw all sorts of conclusions, uh, educated guesses about him. And some of them might be right. But we might also make lots of mistakes about him, uh, jump to false conclusions without a definitive word. Well, Jesus in John chapter 1 is described as the word because he is the most accurate way to know about God. In fact, the first verse of John's gospel, John chapter 1 verse 1, says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The point is this, that with the arrival of Jesus on the stage of human history at that first Christmas, some 2,000 years ago, all the guessing games about God could stop. He is the perfect revelation of God. Look at him and you're seeing God. He is God's word to us. And our verse says the word became flesh. What does that mean? Well, it means that there was a time when Jesus didn't have a human body, but that he became a human. He became flesh. Think of the baby in the manger. God chose to become weak, vulnerable, even killable. In 1964, a 28-year-old lady called Kitty Genovese was tragically attacked and killed outside an apartment block in New York City. Now, sadly, that wasn't such an unusual thing in New York at that time. But this particular case seized the conscience of the people of that city. When she screamed out for help, dozens of people in the apartment blocks above turned on their lights and pulled back their curtains in the early hours of the morning to see what was going on down below. And the attacker, seeing all these lights and faces appearing, suddenly fled the scene. But after a few minutes, when it was clear that no one was going to come down to help Kitty Genovese, he returned and finished the crime. When the case was investigated, it was discovered that 37 people had witnessed what had happened. No one called the police. No one went down to help her. One resident was quoted in the press saying, I didn't want to get involved. The case was quickly uh, uh, taken up by um, every major psychology textbook in the US and the UK, and it gave rise to the term the bystander effect. Um, it's sometimes called Genovese syndrome. You see, the residents of that apartment block weren't unusually terrible people. They were afraid. They didn't want to get in harm's way, and so they didn't go down. Jesus went down. He came down not risking his life, but knowing for sure that that's exactly what it would cost him. He became flesh precisely so that he could die on a cross for us. Why would he plan that? Why would he want that? 
because he knew that by dying there, he could save us. He went to the cross to take the punishment for our sins so that we, he could extend to us the offer of forgiveness and freedom and friendship with God. It's the greatest act of love and rescue and sacrifice the world has ever seen and ever will. He came to the earth to go to the cross. When no one else could save us, Jesus came down. The word became flesh. And it says, made his dwelling among us. At Christmas, more than at any other time of the year, we want to be around those we love, don't we? That's natural. It's what makes the announcement of the Prime Minister last night so difficult for so many who had been hoping to see people over the next few days that they now won't be able to. We want to be around those that we love. And the same is true of God. All through the Bible, it tells us that he wants to be among his people, to dwell among his people. Now, the word translated there in, uh, in that verse as dwelling is actually the word tabernacled. Now, we hear that and think, what in the world does that mean? But for the first hearers and readers of John's gospel, they would have understood exactly what it meant. It would have gripped them. So I hope you'll forgive me a very quick history lesson. Here we go. Long ago in the period of history recorded in the first half of the Bible, what we call the Old Testament, God's people were the nation of Israel. And they were for a long time a traveling, a nomadic people going from place to place. And at that time, God dwelt symbolically among his people in what was called the tabernacle. Here's a picture of it on the screen. It was basically a tent so they could quickly pack it up and take it with them. And inside that tent, they kept what was called the Ark of the Covenant. That's the thing that Indiana Jones tried to steal, that thing. Okay? Now, when they settled down and stopped moving around as a nation, they kind of upgraded the tabernacle to a permanent structure called the temple. Here's a picture of that. And maybe you've heard of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, where people still go today and pray. Well, that is one of the remaining outer parts of the wall of that temple. It was symbolically the way that God could dwell among his people. But even so, people couldn't enter into the inner parts of the tabernacle or the temple. They couldn't go into God's presence or see him. That was something that only the priests could do on special occasions to make a sacrifice. Now, here's the point of all that little history lesson, okay? In John chapter one, we read, the word became flesh and tabernacled, made his dwelling among us. And the point is this, Jesus blows the doors off religion as traditionally understood. You know, in the early days of Christianity, the Romans called Christians atheists. Why? Because it didn't look like a religion at all. They didn't have a temple, they didn't have priests, they didn't make sacrifices. And so someone has made up this uh, imaginary conversation between an early Christian and her Roman neighbor uh, that ne neatly sums this up. This is how it goes. Ah, the neighbor says, I hear you're religious. Oh, good, religion is good. Where is your temple or holy place? We don't have a temple, replies the Christian. Jesus is our temple. No temple. But where do your priests work and do their ritual? We don't have priests to mediate the presence of God, replies the Christian. 
Jesus is our priest. No priests, but where do you offer sacrifices to acquire the favor of your God? We don't need a sacrifice, replies the Christian. Jesus is our sacrifice. What kind of religion is this, sputters the neighbor. And the answer is, no kind of religion at all. You see, religion is all about what we do to make God like us. Christianity is all about what God has done because he already loves us. When Christians gather in buildings like this on Sundays, the place, the building that we meet in isn't really a big deal. We could do it just as well in your front room. You would need quite a big front room, admittedly, but we could do it there. You see, we don't meet God through a particular place, but through a particular person, Jesus. When we share bread and wine, as Christians in normal time do on a regular basis, we're not making a sacrifice. We're remembering one. Jesus' death on the cross. And people like me who lead churches aren't priests, not in the way that the Bible uses the word. Priests are those who stand between God and the people and make sacrifices to kind of try and mend that relationship. The only person who does that now is Jesus. And he was the sacrifice. Are you getting the point? All of Christianity is all about Jesus. He is everything to us. He's done everything for us. And so the invitation of Christianity isn't to come to some fancy building, isn't to do some set of rituals to make God like you. It's to come to a person called Jesus who came down to earth at Christmas to go to the cross at Easter to carve out a way for you and me to come to God and enjoy a relationship with him. He made his dwelling among us. And that is the true and yet magical story at the heart of Christmas. The word, the perfect revelation of God became flesh, coming down to save us by dying for us and made his dwelling among us so that we could know God the Father through him and no longer through cold religious observance. Sometimes the greatest gifts are hiding in plain sight. And at the heart of the true message of Christianity and of Christmas is this offer of forgiveness and freedom and friendship with God now and forever. You don't have to earn it. In fact, you can't. It's a gift that you receive. And it's there for the taking. There for the taking. For anyone who will come to Jesus as their God and receive the forgiveness that he made available to us when he came down to save us. And so it's just five days to go now until Christmas. And can I suggest this? That on Christmas Day, when you or one of your family reaches for that last present from under the tree, let that act for you as a little trigger, a little reminder that in fact there is still one present waiting to be opened. And that it is, in fact, the greatest one of all.